You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series, I Am, examining the I Am statements of Jesus. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is John 8, 12. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'd say you guys really liked each other. When you pass the peace, you pass that peace. Hey guys, uh, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and it's my joy to bring God's word this morning. Um, you know, I, I was on staff about a year and a half ago for a long time and kind of rolled out and, and helped lead a ministry. But I just want to stop and say, I am so proud of my brother, Jesse, who is faithfully leading missions here at this church. Let's give him a round of applause. Um, I have just seen him thrive in this role and he is a, a deep and faithful shepherd. Did you know our church, we have men, women, and children included, 80 people from our church who live overseas who are sharing the gospel with people. That's crazy. That's the size of most churches, right? Um, so even beyond these walls on any given day, at any given moment, God has used this church to powerfully plant other churches and to see the gospel go to places it's not. And there are faithful men and women in this church who are leading those people. So um, thank you for those who serve in those ministries. So today we are stepping back into our I Am series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks. And we are wrestling with some of these things that, that Jesus said and unpacking them. And today we're going to be in John chapter 8 and we're going to focus in on, on one verse, right? Normally we read lots of verses, but if you know anything about light and the scripture, there is a lot to unpack here. So let us go to the, the, let's go to the Lord and ask him to meet us in this moment. Father, you are so good. You're doing so more than we can see or comprehend. And I pray as we open your word and as we sit in this truth that you are the light of the world, that you have made us light, that you have implanted the seed of the gospel in us and it is growing and it is bringing light to a dark world. Father, may you bring us encouragement. Father, whatever we bring into this room, whatever we carry, I pray that we can set it at the foot of the cross and we can set our eyes on you and may you meet us, may you change us, may you shape us into your image. It's in your name I pray, amen. Did you know that 140 years ago, Louisville was the talk of the world? It's right, hard to believe, right? But just a few blocks from here in old Louisville, it wasn't old at the time, it was new Louisville. It was actually the outskirts of the city uh, where, where Central Park and where St. James Court are now. Uh, a few men had this idea, we wanna show the world how amazing Louisville is. So they, they did something called the Louisville Exposition. And the idea was they're going to show the technology of the day, kind of put Louisville on display for 100 days. In fact, they did it for 100 days, five years in a row. It really kind of took over the city. And in the Southern Exposition, they had fancy machines. They had a working farm kind of in, in the, the, inside the exposition. They had theater performances throughout the week. They even had a weekly fireworks show. But at the center of the exposition, was the largest wooden structure ever created in America. Here's a picture of it. Isn't that wild? 
uh, if you didn't know this, it's not there anymore. Um, but that was right smack where Central Park is. And they, they built it and it stretched over 13 acres. It was the, the biggest attraction. But in fact, that's not what drew people was that building. What drew people was that just a few years before, a man named Thomas Edison had developed the incandescent light bulb. Now, someone else developed the light bulb, but he was the first guy to get it to work. It actually uh, lasted and could be used in homes. Before this time, there, there wasn't really indoor lighting. But at the Louisville, the Southern Exposition, Thomas Edison put in, he installed 4,600 light bulbs. So the biggest attraction of this event wasn't the building. It wasn't the, the people who were doing theater. It was actually the fact that the exposition, you could, you could watch it and, and be at it at night. Because those, those 4,600 lights just illuminated the building. In fact, there were more lights coming out of that building at that moment than all of New York City. Had more light bulbs than all of New York City. It's just crazy thought. And in that moment, Louisville was really illuminating our whole city. Louisville was a dark place. The world was a dark place because we didn't have this indoor lighting. But in that moment, the city was as bright as any place in the world. And that's the tension we see in this passage when we look at John chapter 8 and verse 12. That just as this great building, this huge building lit up the city, when the gospel implants our life, when Jesus changes our life, we both have the light and we're called to display the light to our city, display the light to the world. But it's hard. It's hard, right? Because we, we live in a dark, dark world, right? Turn on the news, talk to a friend, walk down the street. I live in this neighborhood and this is a dark place. There's a lot of sad, painful things that happen here. Yet we have the light of the gospel planted in us. We experience the light of Jesus in our lives, but it's hard to live it out. Do you feel that? Do you feel the hardness of the Christian life? And how can we know the light? How can we experience the light? How can we shine the light when the darkness of the world crushes in? So I pray this morning as we open God's word, as we dig in, that this passage, this sermon gives you hope to be the light. But before we dive in, I want us to just stop and to think about, to, to explore what's happening around Jesus as he says this statement, as he says, I am the light of the world. For, for several chapters, chapter seven, chapter eight, uh, Jesus is amping up his ministry. So um, it's like you're inside of your car, right? You're all alone and you turn that volume up and you like start jamming to your tunes, whatever it is. And that's what Jesus is doing in this ministry. He is turning up the volume, getting louder. It's getting more intense. And, and all those around him are experiencing that. He says things like, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. That's strange, right? Let's, you need to be honest. That's a weird statement. Now, we have the benefit of being a believer and we can look backwards, right? Hindsight's 2020. 20, like, oh, it's his death and resurrection. It's the picture of communion. I see and I understand that. But during that day, they're following Jesus and he starts saying these weird things like, whoa. So it actually says that um, in this passage, there were people who were following him. And in chapter seven, they began to turn against him. It's like he says something and they're like, well, I'm going to back up just a little bit. This tension is in place. He's experiencing this, this polarization of his teaching. It puzzles the crowd and some of them are turned against him. I think if you want to understand the season of Jesus' intense ministry, 
go back a few weeks to TPJ's sermon. It's a really good one, understanding what Jesus is doing here. But in the middle of this intense exchange, when the crowd is pushing in and Jesus is pushing back, he makes this declaration that he is the light, he is the God of light that shines into the darkness. So this morning, uh, we're going to do something a little different with the sermon. Uh, In the tradition of the great catechisms of our faith, I want to give us a question and then we're going to wrestle with the answer. So let me go ahead and give you those three questions. The first is, who is Jesus? Who are we and what has Jesus called us to do? First off, who is Jesus? Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is not mincing words here when he is teaching. He makes it clear that everyone listening, making it crystal clear that he is the I am of Exodus 3. You remember back to Jamal's sermon several weeks ago, that in that conversation with Moses and the burning bush, Moses is retreating. He's like, I don't want to do it. I am fearful. I don't think I can do it. Who should I say sent me? You can say the I am sent you. And that theme, that God's declaration, he is who he is, carries all the way through scripture. Jesus says it multiple times. Other writers in the New Testament are pointing to that truth as well. That Jesus comes from the Father, that he will return to the Father, and he is of the same essence as the Father. Jesus, the preexistent Son, is including himself within the divine identity of Yahweh. These are deep theological truths that we have built our faith on for thousands of years. Jesus is God. He is not mincing words. But since we're, we're preaching a whole series on the I Am statements, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this reality that Jesus is God. But I just want us to know this is a really huge deal for Jesus in the midst of his ministry, especially when the volumes turned up, right? People are starting to get angry. He can make this statement, I am the light of the world. He declares his, his deity, his divinity. And you can tell it shakes up his listeners because they start pushing in. They start asking these, these deep lines of questions. And it kind of builds upon each other as you, as you work through chapter 8 to the point where in verse 48, they start throwing racial slurs at Jesus. And they say, oh, I know you. You must have a demon. Because a, a follower of God, a rabbi, he wouldn't say those kind of things. And how does Jesus respond? If someone threw a racial slur at you or said, hey, I think you're demon-possessed, how would you respond? Here's what he says. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus turns the volume up. What's happening right before that is he's teaching these hard truths and and the crowd says, wait a second, you're not even 50 years old and you knew Abraham? He says, before Abraham was, I am. And it's like Jesus dropped the mic and he walks off stage. You can just imagine what's happening. The, The men look at each other. Did he just say that? Did did this man just declare himself God? Did he align himself with the Father? That's enough, enough. And they take up stones to kill him, to assassinate him, to murder him. Don't believe me? Look in verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden. Love that passage, not the first part, but the second part is wild, right? They go to throw stones at Jesus. Like, whoa, wait, where did he go? right? Jesus isn't hiding behind a tree. He's not hiding behind somebody. There's a miraculous thing that is happening here. Why? Why is Jesus hidden? Because his time had not yet come. God had foreordained the events that was taking place in scripture. His time had not yet come. 
Jesus' claim of being God throws the crowd for a loop. And let me just say this, it should. It should throw the crowd for a loop. These Jews should be overwhelmed with anger at the words of a man declaring himself to be God, unless it's true. If it's true, if what Jesus says is true, and it is, everything is different. Everything changes. Christianity is significant and true and different because our Messiah, our Savior is God himself. Jesus both declares his divinity, he declares himself divine, but then he brings definition to what that is. He is the light that illuminates the world. It's important for us to to see what's happening in this moment. So it's not just a crowd who begins to turn on him because he, he gets some really intense teaching in there, but there's an event taking place. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's one of the most significant uh, Jewish feasts there is. And what the Feast of Tabernacles was is um, there was a, several different elements. One of those was the symbol of light, but it was a way for the Jewish people to, to teach their children that there was salvation coming. God's promise of a savior was coming. And at the center of that, of much of the celebration was light. For example, there were four huge lamps that would have been lit at the the temple's court. And the people would have celebrated at night under the glow of those lights. Men would have danced all night long. They would have held up their own torches of light, right? Symbolizing the light of God. They would sing songs and praise him. And the light from these celebrations would be visible all over Jerusalem, just illuminating from the temple. And it's during these days of celebration that Jesus stands before these men And he declares himself light. That he, by saying, I am the light of the world, is saying that he is the very fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. What they are celebrating, what they are longing for is found in the person and work of Jesus. But not just here, not just in the Feast of Tabernacles, but all throughout the scriptures, we see light as a significant theme of the Bible. Think about creation. Genesis 1, God creates light and it floods his new world. Or the exodus, the the people are coming out of slavery into freedom. And the way God does that, he gives them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It is his presence and his guidance for his people. Or David's declaration that we read earlier in the liturgy, Psalm 27, verse 1. David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I dread? You see, friends, the Old Testament is full of references to God as light. So when I say we're going to dig into one uh, verse, that is a tall order. (laughs) It's a tall order. This is one of those pinnacles that we see in Scripture. There's this building of, of, of a lot of things happening. So when Jesus declares himself the light of the world, he is in essence saying that he is the fulfillment of all of God's promises for his people. And he's not alone. The author of John writes the same thing at the beginning, the introduction of our book. Look in chapter one. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Did you catch that, that last verse? The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John is setting up the book 
pointing forward to what's happening in chapter 8, which points back into what was happening in the Old Testament, which points forward to what's happening all throughout Scripture. The true light of the world that illuminates the darkness is coming into the world. All of these passages and so many more are like a neon sign pointing at Jesus. He is here. He is here. The fulfillment of all of God's promises, the, the, the promises that we've been longing for and that we've been waiting for, the feasts and the celebrations and the songs, all of those things are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. So when Jesus calls himself light, it's a big deal. But, but what does light do? Light does one thing. It illuminates the darkness. So this week I was uh, working on this message and I went to a coffee shop. I won't tell you which one. There's like 300 of those in our city. Um, but I went and sit in a coffee shop and had my coffee and I had a commentary in my hand. And the guy, there was a guy across from me and he looked at me. He's like, hey, what are you reading? Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when these exchanges happen, I get a little nervous. What's coming next? And I say, well, I'm, I'm reading this book uh, on the book of John. And he was like, his, his face changes, his eyes change, and he reaches into his bag. Oh, no, what's he going to pull out? He reaches into his bag and he, he pulls out a Bible and he leans forward and he says, I'm a Christian too. And it's like he and I are the last Christians on earth. I want to be like, bro, probably most of the people in this coffee shop are Christians. The guy over here is doing his devotions, you know. I was like, there's another one. But there was something different about this dude. And sure enough, for the next 30 minutes, I got to know Jay and learned that he was a new believer. He was a baby Christian. And he told me how he came to faith through the witness of a coworker. He told me how he cried every day as he opened God's word and read about Jesus. And as he told me that, he was crying. He said that before Jesus, he had the money, he had the girls, he had the success. He had everything he thought that would make him happy. But guess what? It was empty and pitiful. I mean, the way he taught, he was just like, I can't imagine not having Jesus. All that other stuff is just foolish and silly and empty. He told me word for word, why do I need the things of the world when I have Jesus? Man, I'll be honest. I got a little convicted. <laughs> I was like, man, I, I've walked with Jesus for 32 years and it has been a wild ride and it will be a wild ride for Jay too. But there's this tension in those moments, like, why don't I experience Jesus like that? Why is the light that's flooded my life not shining? And I'm not just saying like out to everyone, why don't I just, why don't I share my faith more? There's a part of that, but it's like, I want to experience the light. And friends, there's an invitation. The light that Jay has is the same light you have. The spirit that Jay has is the same spirit you have. The salvation that Jay has is the same salvation we have. And our invitation is to experience the good life. You see, Jay had been walking in darkness and then the light of Jesus flooded in. He knew the difference. Do you know the difference? Have you experienced the difference? It was like he was sitting in the darkest room in the deepest pit and someone turned the light on. Have you ever been in a situation like that? My wife and I lived overseas for a season and the country we lived in 
we had uh, blackouts. There wasn't enough electricity to go around. So for 11 hours a day, we didn't have electricity at seasons. Isn't that crazy? And there were times where I'd be sitting in my apartment and just enjoying the night, or maybe I'm on my balcony, whatever it is, and the light would come back on. And you could see every nook and cranny in 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 my room or outside or wherever it might be, right? The light flooded into the darkness. And it's a picture of what Jesus does in our life, what the gospel does in our life is the gospel illuminates our sin. It illuminates our weeks at attempts at happiness, but it shines an even brighter light on the cross of Jesus, right? I'm, I'm convicted of sin. I'm convicted of these shallow, pitiful things, but I see something better. There's something better for me to experience. And friends, that is acceptable to us. It's, it's available to us. That's what happens to us when we experience salvation When we experience the gospel transforming our lives, it becomes real and it changes us. But it begs the question, if Jesus is the light of the world, who are we? That's our second question. Who are we? We are light bearers. And I mean that really in two senses. We bear the light, which means we receive the light and we bear the light. We are giving that light away. This is exactly what was happening in my friend's life that I I just met on Thursday, just 10 months ago. Jesus reached down and pulled Jay out of darkness. And as he walks daily with him, as he opens his Bible, as he weeps over the text, his life is being transformed. He's growing in faith. He's becoming a different person. And the same is true for us. Being a Christian is light and life. Those truths are interwoven, light and life. We're becoming something new. But hear me, following Jesus is more than a culture. It's more than a side hustle. It's more than a casual hobby. Following Jesus is an all or nothing endeavor. You're either in or you're out. Can't be both. Can't be both. Look back at verse 12, our passage for today. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's this German theologian, says about following Jesus. When Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die. That's intense, right? But what Bonhoeffer's doing here is he's just echoing the words of Jesus in in Matthew chapter 16. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Following Jesus, experiencing the light is a beautiful thing, but it, it requires all of us. And along with receiving the light and allowing it to change us, the gospel also compels us outward to others. It's really difficult to contain light. You know why? Because light really does one thing. It illuminates the darkness. Yeah, and light never has to defend itself. You don't walk into a a lit room and be like, what is this magical thing that is happening around me, right? It just is, it exists. It just illuminates dark places. And that's that's what the gospel does. It just just brings forth light. I think about the moon, right? The, The moon does not shine its own light, but it simply shines the light of the sun. Friends, that's what we're called to do as believers, right? We shine the light of Jesus. It's not something we manufacture as we sit in, as we soak in the gospel, as we walk with Jesus. That light, that stuff that's deep within will be shining forth. Jesus says this himself in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp or puts it under a basket 
but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You see that? Give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, you're you're like a city on a hill that shines forth. It's not for your own glory, right? The, The Southern Exposition, that beautiful, huge building with all the lights, that was for the glory of Louisville. Come and see us. That's not what it means to be a Christian. We, we, light up the world. We experience the gospel. We let it shine forth, not for our own glory, but for the glory of the Father. Jesus uses the same language in Matthew 5 as he does in Matthew 8 to describe himself, that we are the light of the world. But here's the difference. The distinction between Jesus is Jesus himself is the radiant one. He is the sun and we are the moon. We simply display his light to others. I want to encourage you with this. This is what it means to live a life on mission. Don't overcomplicate making Jesus known. We're not called to be clever. We're not called to be well-spoken. We're not called to have all the answers. We are simply called to shine the light of Jesus. Our role in reaching people with the gospel is to open our mouths and to tell others what he has done for us. One of my favorite stories in all the scripture is John chapter four. Jesus sits at the well and he meets a a Samaritan woman who's been rejected from society. And they have this beautiful conversation and he invites her to experience living water. And she leaves her jar and she goes to this town that has rejected her. And she says, come and see the man who has changed everything. He knows all about me. And then the villagers come and they meet Jesus for themselves. Listen, she didn't have a theological education. She didn't have all the answers. She had talked to Jesus for who knows how long, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, half an hour. But she simply told others what Jesus had done in her life. Friends, let's do that. You want to be a light? Just simply declare what Jesus has done for you and then invite others to experience the same. So open up your busy life, share meals with lost people, extend a hand of service to your neighbor, use your words to point people to Jesus. That is a life on mission. That is a life of a light bearer. And so if Jesus is the light of the world and we have been made light bearers, what has Jesus called us to do? What has he called us to do? He has called us to walk in the light. So again, remember the context of our passage. The the volume has been turned up on Jesus's ministry. The crowd has turned against him. They went from fanboys to an angry mob. And Jesus knows that. And he's, he's pushing in. And in this intense dialogue, what Jesus does is he highlights two ways of life. This is common. We see this in scripture. We see uh, you got Psalm chapter one, right? The life that is blessed and then the life of the sinner. We have this, uh, the, the narrow gate and the broad road. And in this moment, Jesus is, is displaying a life as a son and a life as a slave, eternal life and eternal death, being a son of Abraham and being a son of the devil, life in the light and life in the darkness. But it's not just just here in this passage. We see this this contradiction of light and dark, this, this pitting of light and dark against one another all over Scripture. 1 John 1, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, We are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
Jesus is calling us in this passage to know him, to follow him, and to walk in light. Listen, no matter how hard the gospel is, and if you were honest, the gospel's hard, right? Yes, it is free. We receive it by grace, yet to walk in the gospel is is difficult. No matter how much life throws at you, and life will throw a lot, and if you're a Christian, even more. Following Jesus is not the easy path. It's a tough road. But no matter how much life throws at you or how much the devil tempts you, our only hope in this life is to walk in the light of Jesus. Walk in the light. Walk in the light. As the Mandalorian would say, this is the way. Right? This is the way. There's no other way. But beware. You can't be a light bearer and walk in the darkness. Light and darkness do not cohabitate. To follow the Savior is to turn from the darkness. We call this repentance. It's literally we are walking in the darkness. We are shrouded in the darkness. We're pursuing and longing for sin. And when Jesus calls us, we turn on our heels and we follow him. Walk in the light. You can't walk in the light and walk in darkness. Now, this doesn't mean that you never sin, right? We don't, here at Sojourn, we don't believe in some, some perfectionism. The reality is, we have experienced the kingdom of God partially, but not fully, right? We have a new heart, but that broken heart, that sinful heart is also still present. But what it's calling us is, it means that Christians do not live a lifestyle of sin, right? We don't show up in church and praise Jesus. And then on Sunday, we we turn back into the darkness. You need to run to the light if that's you. If your practice is light, dark, light, dark, here's your reality, you're in the dark turn to the light. This morning, if you are not a Christian, I I beg you, I compel you, open your eyes to the light. Holy Spirit, may you open the eyes of the blind so they can see. Walk in the light. Hear me, kill the sin in your life. This is a life and death matter. Fight the sin that seeks to destroy you. Step out of the dark and walk in the light. This morning, as as we move toward our conclusion, I want to give us some points of application. These are things I want us to to meditate on and seek to apply this week. Number one, as we think about how do we walk in the light, we are able to walk in the light because he walked in the light. When I I tell you, like, turn from darkness and, and move to light, pursue holiness, that's not some sort of manufactured Christian life. You can do that because Jesus himself did it. He came from heaven. He took on flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died the death we deserved. And when he resurrected, he defeated death once and for all. Because of the gospel truth, you can walk in light because he walked in light. When you wake up and you feel like, I just can't do this, you can. When sin is pressing down on you, you know that you have freedom in Jesus. He has given you a way. Walk in the light, because he walked in the light. Number two, we are able to walk in the light when we abide in the light. We cultivate this life with Jesus. There have been so many times in my life, and I think you can align with this when walking with Jesus is just really difficult. When life is hard, the world is pressing in, and how do we do it? Abide, John 15, 5. There's a, a beautiful message of Jesus. Abide, abide. Listen, Your number one job as a Christian, I'm going to give you a secret to life. Your number one job as a Christian is to abide with Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. 
When we abide in the light, when we cultivate our life with Jesus, when we open God's word, when we pray, when we live in community, we faithfully serve, when we give, when we, we move in and we seek the light, we are able to walk in the light as we abide. Number three, as the, the, the two things I just mentioned, as walking in the light, the gospel and abiding in the light, cultivating your life with Jesus are true about you, we're able to walk in the light because light casts out darkness. As you abide in Jesus, you'll be aware of your sin and you'll be able to fight that sin. We're able to live a life of repentance and faith. That's what it means to be sanctified. That's what it means to walk with Jesus, to, to live this life of faith. And here's the best thing. Here's the best thing. As you seek to walk in the light, as you abide with him, as you kill your sin, as you shine your light out to others, God is doing something for us that it's hard to even comprehend. And here's the sad thing. We, we forget, we get lost, we get distracted by this truth. But look at the end of the story, Revelation 21. And let's think about our future home. Here's what John, being able to have a vision in Revelation, sees about what is to come, what is to come for you and for me. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, when life kicks you in the mouth, when the voice of darkness is loud and walking in the light is hard, remember there is a day coming where sin is no more, where sickness is no more, where suffering is no more, when the darkness is done. Our new home, it doesn't need a lamp. It doesn't need a light switch. Jesus himself, the King, will shine bright for all of eternity. You walk out and be like, man, it's a beautiful day here in heaven. Where's this light coming from? Jesus, Jesus is our hope. Friends, no matter what life is doing, where you are, what is to come around the corner, you can have hope because there is a day coming where none of this matters. All will be restored. The brokenness of your life, your sadness, your disappointment, your frail body, the sufferings you've experienced in this life, light will prevail. Light will shine for all eternity. The light is coming and it has come. Jesus is with you. Walk in the light. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.